Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Sean Castle. Sean spent five years in the U.S. Army as a military police officer and spent five years in the civilian law enforcement. He has been featured on Sports Illustrated and then Forbes magazine. He's played for the University of Alabama's virtual basketball program. So welcome on to the show, Sean. Well, thanks for having me, James. I'm uh, really looking forward to this. So before we delve into today's episode, Sean, can we go back to the beginning to where your journey began? Sure. Um, I was a military police officer in the uh, U.S. Army. I was stationed in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, I was actually uh, teaching a soldier how to work a weapon, uh, Mark 19, on top of a Humvee, which is, you know, a Mark 19 is an automatic grenade launcher. I was t- telling him, don't uh, discharge the weapon until I stepped down off the Humvee. He didn't listen. He fired the weapon. It threw me forward. My lower back hit the steel brush guard. It cracked two of the vertebrae, herniated three of the discs, put bone into my spinal cord. Um, I They rushed me to a hospital, had a German doctor start to work on my cord. They put, um, in the United States, uh, the prosthetic disc, and I'm not sure about in the UK, but the prosthetic discs that you can put into someone's spinal cord to help stabilize it, aren't. Um, they were never approved in the United States. So I had uh, two of those put in and then a bunch of rods and metal and all kinds of stuff. But when I came home, the disc started to fail and become hypermobile in my spinal cord and bounce off my spinal cord. And I went to the American doctors who said, we don't know how to fix you. We have no clue what to do with this since it was never allowed in the States. So they ended up actually um, taking metal and then fusing metal on metal. And that failed. So now my spinal cord, at any time I move, has metal that just bounces off my spinal cord. I'm right now I'm an incomplete para, but they're telling me that because of how the metal is and how it moves and everything within the next few years, I'll be complete. Um, but that kind of actually, the injury opened up doors for me uh, in ways that I never dreamed of. I, I ended up being at a hospital. I found out that I actually am allergic to all pain medicines and muscle relaxers. I can't take any of that stuff, um, which is actually how I ended up finding out about adapted athletics. I uh, was in the hospital with an allergic reaction to my medicine and I had a nurse come in, well, a physical therapist, but one of the nurses come in and go, God, Sean, you're, you're only 26. You're a really big guy. Like if I stood, I'm six foot three and I weigh just under 200 pounds. So I, I'm not a small man. And I, she came in, she says, God, you're a big guy. You're really young. Why don't you play sports? And I had never heard of adapted sports at the time. And I was like, Whoa, what are you talking about? And about a week later, I, I ended up at a place called the Lakeshore Foundation in Birmingham, Alabama, which if, if anybody in the UK or you know whoever's listening or watching this now has ever done wheelchair rugby, murder ball, or wheelchair basketball stateside, there's a very good chance I ended up at the Lakeshore Foundation because that's a home of USA Rugby. It's a home of USA Women's Wheelchair Basketball. They do all kinds of stuff. But they also do recovery for injured military. Um, you come in there and they show you these sports. They teach you that, hey, life's not over just because you're injured, just because you got these things going on. And I was in there a week before I fell in love with it, and I, I just started pursuing it. Started training six days a week, and I was off to the races. But, but with, with Sean, when you've been in the military in Heidelberg, why didn't yeah. they transfer you to Longstow Medical Regional Medical Center? That's uh, <laughs> that's a fun and interesting question. Um, what happened was they when I got injured initially, they said, Sean, we're going to send you back to Walter Reed or Walter Reed Hospital in D, uh, Washington, D.C., which at the time wasn't 
how do I say this? It didn't have the greatest of reputations. And I was basically being told that we're going to put you in a wheelchair. We're going to fit you through the wheelchair. We're not going to attempt to do anything to fix you. We're just going to, this is your life now. And I wasn't, I didn't want to hear that. And I went to um, a place called the Atos Clinic um, in Heidelberg, Germany. And I talked to a guy by the name of Dr. Johan File, who was, at, you know, I don't even know what Dr. File is doing now, but at the time he is one of the best orthopedic and sports medicine guys on earth and was developing extra, like uh, developing techniques for spinal cord injury and all this other stuff. And I went and saw him and I said, this is what's going on. Can you help me? And he said, we can help you. So they didn't want to take me to Launchstool because they were just, like I said, they were just going to send me straight to Walter Reed, not to Launchstool. Because it wasn't an injury that was, okay, we need to save his life. It was, what are we going to do for him later on in life? Mm -hmm. So they sent guys to Launchstool who have, you know, a traumatic brain injury, initial spinal cord injury where they're worried about that they may lose their life, that loss of limb, that type of thing. That is more of an emergency then they get transferred to DC. I wasn't an emergency status. I was just, okay, now what are we going to do with him now that he's, you know, injured now that he's got paralysis and everything. So um, I actually initially uh, re refused orders and said, I'm not going to go to Walter Reed. I'm going to go to see Dr. File and through to make a very, very long story short, um, the United States army said, we'll approve you to get this done. But um, if it doesn't help you, you're going to Walter Reed immediately afterwards. So, um, I went to, I went to Dr. File and it did, it helped. I was in surgery for a little over eight hours. Um, I went in there with completely almost no feeling in all my left leg and part of my right leg. And after I got out of there with some assistance, but after I got out of there, I was able to walk again because what had happened is the bones were sitting on the spinal cord and they pulled the bones back off and stabilized my spinal cord. And, uh, but unfortunately, like I said, the disc became hypermobile within about a year of returning to the States. And no one in the States knew how to fix me. And I didn't have the money to return to Germany on my own to try and go back to Dr. Files. So it, it, it kind of, this is where life is now after the surgeries. I've had another surgery, like I said, where they, they, you know, they just completely immobilized the lower half of my spinal cord in the hopes that it would help. And it didn't. So, um, yeah, that's how I didn't end up at launch tool is. It was they wanted to send me to Walter Reed immediately, and I said no. I said I want to try something else. I, I know there's modern medicine out there that can at least hopefully fix me. I don't think that the I should accept your initial diagnosis of there's nothing that can help you just get used to this, you know just get used to a wheelchair. I refused, and I actually was one of the few people that they know of at the time. I was the youngest person in the world that they had put in bilateral bilateral bi, excuse me bilateral um, prosthetic disc in the spinal cord. I was the youngest person in the world that they'd done it at the time. And I was also the first person that they know of that was able to get up and return to be a police officer for a little while. So, Oh, it's kind of bucking the trend a little bit by you obviously challenging the old higher, higher powers within the U.S. military. Yeah, you know, you know, that was kind of a trend of mine. It was not that I, I didn't, I, I was, you know, I was considered, a, you know, at least from what my knowledge, a really good soldier. I, I progressed really fast in the ranks and I was a sergeant as, almost as fast as you can do it one month. It took me one month longer than the shortest possible time to become a sergeant. So I was doing pretty fast, and you know, I was uh, all the great details. I did um, PSD, Protective Service, which is um, like the Army's Secret Service. So I was um, detailed to two different four-star generals: one um, being General Bell, General BB Bell, and the other one being General Montgomery Miggs in Montgomery, or excuse me, in Heidelberg. And I, you know, I I progressed really, really fast. But I've also been a person of 
I, that was raised just because, you know, if someone gives you one answer, if you don't like that answer, you can find something else. It doesn't just because they're a doctor or something like that doesn't mean that they're the ultimate authority on everything. You know, if someone gives you, OK, says, well, you're just in a wheelchair and just get used to that life doesn't mean that that's what you have to do. You know, I, I, I never I've never accepted that, like, just because now, just because I'm in a wheelchair doesn't mean that I can't, you know, I can't be a Paralympian, that I can't travel the world, that I can't, you know, that I'm just relegated to I'm stuck in the house and I have to stare at a wall and life is over because I'm in a wheelchair. I've never accepted that. And I've never accepted at face value just because they say it can't be done doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you can't do it. It means that they've accepted that they don't, they can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like. If someone says, hey, you can't do this or it can't be done, it just means that they don't want to do it or they don't want to put the effort to do it or that they think they can't do it. It doesn't mean you can't do it. The world is filled with people who've proven people wrong. Matter of fact, we wouldn't be where we are in the world and science and technology if it wasn't for people who go, you know what? You're wrong. I can do it. And they found a way to do it. So I, I've always been of that mindset of just because someone says it can't be done doesn't, doesn't mean it actually can't be done. You just got to be able to put the work in or have that drive and that want to put the work in. And do you believe since you had your injury that it's opened up multiple more, some more doors for you? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, you, you briefly said I've been featured in Forbes and that stuff. And my God, I, I, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I was um, just featured, at least in the United States. I don't know if it, it reached the British, uh, or British uh, television or not. But I'm currently the face of Toyota for wheelchair basketball. Like I, I did a commercial for them that has been viewed in the United States at least, like a American television viewer by 130 million people. Um, no one would have ever cast me to do a commercial had it not been for, hey, you got injured and you're pretty wheelchair basketball, and they, they cast me to do it. I'm I'm I just filmed a movie. I'm about to film another movie um, that no one would have cast me to be an actor. It, it came off of the wheelchair basketball commercial, and I've got a movie out um, called You're Gonna Miss Me that just came out on DVD. I don't know if it's uh, UK or whatnot yet, but I know stateside it was just released. And I've I've met presidents. I met you know uh, Tony Blair when I got you know after my injuries. I've met God Jacques Chirac, who I know is not a huge you know favorite. <laughs> Um, he was very nice to me. I've I've met President who, you know, again, not everybody has their, you know, political taste, but when he when he met me, it was long past the post injury and it was because of my injuries and then my basketball and then everything else that I'd done that he heard about me. So I mean I've I've been able to do things that I never dreamed of. Like I never dreamed anybody would pay me to be a professional basketball player. You know, like I just mentioned I'm coming back over to play in Lil and um, one of the reasons, and, I, and again, I know this is a, a British podcast or, you know, a podcast that will be seen as, uh, by a significant amount of British players. Um, the only reason I'm not going to play in London is because, you know, that they don't pay. So, so I, me and my wife, who absolutely love the UK, who love London and Manchester and all that stuff, um, we picked the town that was closest to where we wanted to be, which was in London. So Lil is only a 30, I think it's a 30 to 40 minute trade ride from London. And that's why we're going to play there. And I, I could, in my life, never have dreamed that someone would have said, hey, come on over. We'll pay you to play wheelchair basketball. You know, it's but my thing is I, people always ask, you know, how did you get where you are? And it's like nobody was going to just hand me anything. You know, nobody. It's not like I showed up at Lakeshore and they're like, God, you're a veteran. How, how wonderful. Let's give you all this stuff. What happened was I showed up at Lakeshore and I went. I want to be a Paralympian. I want to be an athlete. I want to do these things. And 
And at Lakeshore, they have the Olympic and Paralympic banners that hang from the wall. You know, the, the, the guys like Matt Scott who have gone through there and Brian Bell, who's from Birmingham. And, you know, all these guys who have come through there, that motivation. I was there, you know, and you, if you read the Forbes interview, I talk about it. I was there six days a week. I was there up to eight hours a day. I was doing cardio, weights, swimming, anything I could think of to get better faster. And the only reason I wasn't there seven days is because they're closed on Sundays. I mean, but that was because, you know, and that everything that spun out of it was people at Lakeshore saw me working that hard and went, gee, we think he'd be good for this. Or, you know, they saw me there and I was on the cover of, there was a big bank in the United States called Regions Bank, or at least in the southeast of the United States. And they put me on the cover because they saw me working really hard. And that spun to the next thing. And they went, God, he works, you know, he's really good. Oh, we should give him a chance. And the happened is because of me working my butt off and then someone taking notice. And I mean, the door is open because of my injuries and dreams, you know, things that I would never dreamed I would could be able to do. Me going, you know what? I'm not going to sit on my butt. I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm not going to accept the fact that my life is somehow over because I'm injured, I'm going to get my butt in there and I'm going to prove these people wrong, you know, and that's what I've been able to do the last five and a half years, you know, and, and that's, yeah, that's what happened. This is about a little bit of a sidetrack question, but obviously probably from the outside world, outside of the, the disability community, people obviously assume that when an injured serviceman, well, say gets, gets injured, Oh, it opens the door to obviously, oh, they're going to be competing in the Paralympics. And do you think it kind of puts a negative spin on Paralympic sport that it kind of thinks, well, they become injured, they're thus going to just walk straight into team? Because they're, yeah, you know what, that's the one thing I hear quite a bit is, you know, some, you know, they, they, oh, I got a friend who just got injured, he says he wants to be a Paralympian. Well, you know, God bless him, go for it. But that doesn't mean just because you got hurt that, you know, you're a Paralympian. Like I've been, you know, I've gone to the Paralympic training centers in Colorado Springs and, you know, uh, Birmingham, of course, and Fort, uh, something near Fort Drum, uh, Watertown and everything like that. And, you, you know, and out in Chula Vista, we train alongside Olympians. This is not a, hey, I'm injured, so I'm just going to roll on in here in my wheelchair and I'm now going to go to Rio or Tokyo or London or wherever it is. No, 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 no. This is your job. You dedicate your life to this. Just like any other Olympic athlete, you are dedicating your entire life. And if you are not willing to train hard, eat correctly, do the right, you know what I mean? Like every mm-hmm. single day, you're not just going to roll in there anywhere. I mean, there are some guys who are just natural, just naturally great at what they do. Like um, there's um, a, a, a Marine who lost both of his legs. I want to say Afghanistan. His name is George Salazar. Salazar is one of the most pure athletes he is one of the few people on this planet who could literally just roll into the gym and within six months be on that level he's i right now he's headed to columbia uh with team usa to play in our you know our our our, our regionals before the world champions in um hamburg next year hamburg but other than him there is nobody (laughs) that can just roll in a gym day one and just be like you know what i'm going to be a paralympian and then the next day they're on that level It, it does take a little bit away from the fact that the the general public has this idea of, oh, he's a veteran. He got hurt. So, oh, he's a Paralympian now. And it's like, no, 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 no. There are veterans who are Paralympians, British, American, German, French, you know, you name it, you know, uh, uh, Japanese, you name it. But those those men and women have dedicated their entire lives to that. They didn't just roll out of the hospital and go, you know what, I want to be a Paralympian now. And then they selected them. I mean, you know, as well as anybody that 
my God, it is your entire life. This is, this is, you sacrifice so much beyond what your injury is to be what you are. You train, that's, that's the one thing that I hate more than anything is that people assume that the Paralympics are somehow associated with the Special Olympics and that, okay, no, you're a Paralympian. It's like, no, 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 we are the equivalents of Olympians, okay? Paralympian doesn't mean you're paralyzed or you're an Olympian. Paralympics literally means that you are parallel to the Olympics, that you are on the same level as the Olympics. And the training that it takes to get there, yeah, absolutely. That is that is absolutely one of the big things for sure. But I think it comes down to, well, you could even justify, oh, I've talked to, especially I've talked to a lot of American athletes, and that's, uh, financial reward that they get for bringing home medals. You're thinking the Olympians get recompense a little bit more. You're thinking, oh yeah, couldn't a disabled person get more because day to day living is going to be harder to start with, and then depending on what their impairment is, is going to be that much harder in training. So you think oh. it should be at least level playing field to start with. You would. You would think that in, in, in a lot of different ways. Like I know I have friends who are just on, who just came back from Rio with a gold medal um, in wheelchair basketball. You know, a lot of Jared Aramula and some phenomenal players, and they got five thousand American dollars for their gold medal, where every other Olympic athlete at the games got twenty thousand or twenty five thousand, I think it was this year. So they got one fifth of what the athletes got, but it costs them significantly higher amounts of money to train, to transport where they're going, the equipment it costs, all these stuff. Because I don't know exactly how it works in other countries, but in the United States, the U.S. government does not give you money to train. You, you know, there are many, many Olympians who have other jobs to support their training at the Olympics. You know, they will they will put you up when you get to Colorado Springs, but they're not paying for flights anywhere, no travel, no equipment you need, none of that stuff. That falls on you. So there are many American Olympic athletes and Paralympic athletes who go into debt pursuing their dreams. And then when they, you're right, when they do, you know, they hear the anthem played, they get that medal and everything, and then they go, what do you mean to tell me I get one-fifth, even though it costs me a significant amount more to do this? Yeah, that's it's... it's it's different, and I know a lot of athletes here who do their best to try and get endorsement deals to cover those costs, but it, it, the Paralympics, while it's gotten better, it's few and far between, you know, endorsement deals, so it, it, to cover that cost. So, yeah, it definitely is a big difference between the two. Well, I think it comes back to coverage. I think the American athletes that I know and I've spoken to say it's getting better, but we're probably the leading one in terms of oh, coverage yeah. and it that's between the Paralympics and okay it's a different host broadcast but yeah. it's still got to wait because people say oh yeah the channel 4 is fairly good i i kind of put it in perspective it's like well if you compare it to the bbc then the olympic coverage no it's it's no it's not really yeah it, it's it's the same thing here I mean, uh, the only reason NBC, you know, NBC Sports is the one that holds the rights to the Olympics and the Paralympics. The only reason NBC is doing anything with the Paralympics is because they were forced by the Interla International Paralympic Community and the Olymp International Olympic Community or, uh, uh, Committee, excuse me, that if they were going to take the actual Olympic coverage, they had to also do the Paralympic coverage at the same level by 2024. So this year there was more coverage. There was, you know, you, it was a little bit better on TV. But even like when you're talking about BBC versus Channel 4, it's the same thing here. NBC has the NBC network, which is seen nationally. Everybody, regardless if you have cable or not, can see those. We were put on NBC Sports Network, which is something you have to pay uh, you know, an extra big fee. It's kind of like 
it's kind of like back in the day with Sky Sports where you mm-hmm. had you had to pay for the extra channels. Well, that's what it was. It was like a third tier. You have to have this big thing to be able to get it. And even then, none of the events were shown live except for wheelchair basketball and rugby at the at the gold medal games. So everything else was shown on delay two or three days. I mean, it was it's a step in the right direction, but I'm definitely not one of those people who go, you know, we just keep doing these small steps and then maybe we'll get there. I'm not that way. I'm no, 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 no. We have proven that we can draw the same amount of viewers. When they put those on, uh, you know, on national television, they were drawing the same amount of viewers in the U.S. that a lot of the Olympic events were. Now, obviously, the the big one in the States is Michael Phelps, you know. So when he's swimming, Michael Phelps just blows the numbers out of the water. But if you look apples to apples at any of the Olympic events versus the live coverage of the Paralympic events that were actually shown on NBC, they're extremely comparable numbers. It's just a... They don't want to do it unless they're forced to. So it was like me doing the commercial. It was a huge deal stateside because it had never been done before. The only other thing they did was a beer commercial for uh, Guinness. And I actually know the guy who did the commercial. He was in this commercial with me as one of the extras during the basketball scene. So for me to be put on prime time on a Sunday night football game, you know, so in the U.S., you know, American football Mm -hmm. is the sport in Sunday night football is the number one rated program in all of American television. It's not even close. So for them to actually put the money in a wheelchair sport to be put on during that primetime slot and then during, you know, not the Super Bowl, but like the uh, week before. So that the uh, championship games to lead to the Super Bowl, they showed it during that game. It was a huge deal. But the problem is that it was such a huge deal that people are like, oh, my God, we should do this more. Why don't we? And no one no one has an answer for it. They're like, this is so amazing. This is so inspirational. This is whatever. But all the other companies are like, yeah, but. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but there's no real ratings if it's not connected to it. So it's, it's a two steps forward and then sometimes three steps back because it's out of sight, out of mind in the U S just like any, just like most other Olympic sports, we don't do track and field here. Like we never, every four years we pay attention to track and field in the U S there's no U S you know, a professional, you know, uh, uh, track and field events here just doesn't exist. Everybody goes to Europe to do them. It's like wheelchair basketball where, you know, where you hear about, okay, we're going to start an American pro league. Well, the problem is there's no money to back that right now. All the big programs, stateside, back military programs. So, like, I participate in the National Veterans Wheelchair Games, and I'm uh, right now I'm most likely going to be headed to the Invictus Games, not this year, but the year after. But those are things they can attach their name to because it's got Prince Harry or it's got this or it's got that to where they get big publicity. So until we figure out a way to actually crack the door of the big publicity like all the other Olympics do, we're, we're still going to be second-class citizens until we can figure out a way to actually completely crack the door, not just knock on it a little bit, which is my commercial and the other, you know, the, the little bit of coverage we've gotten, you know, during the Paralympics and that type of thing. Until we can figure out a way to knock the door down, we're, we're kind of stuck, so. And in terms of the Invictus Games, mm-hmm. what would you be your personal preference on how, how they would do it? Because obviously now it is, well, every year... What was it? Been 2012, 20... I know they skipped a year. And it they was... 2014, I want to say. They did 2014 in London. And then they skipped a year. And then now it's going to be a yearly thing. Last year it was in Orlando. This year it's in Toronto. The year after, I want to say it's Sydney or, you know, Sydney or something like that in Australia. I think it's a good thing to do it every year. And the reason I think it's a good thing is at least stateside, when they did it last year, it was a huge 
that got way more coverage than the Paralympic did, uh, Paralympics did on the main American channels, ABC, ESPN, the big American sports networks. It was all over it for a week. Um, I, I really think that that's a good thing. I think that it, it exposes a lot of people to the sports that they've never seen before. Um, through the, in, in the United States, we you know tend to give more attention to the military things, and we do other things. So if you can have this attached to the military and get people to even tune in to sample it a little bit, you know what I mean? Like it's a good thing. Um, I, I look at it like soccer, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. I look at it like soccer, where it's okay. If you look, there's a big international tournament every single year during the summertime for the most thing. You know, either the Euros or con, you know, in the state Concacaf or. Um, the World Cup next summer or this year's qualifying through, you know, what I mean, there's always something going on that people can turn their attention to rather than the Olympics and the Paralympics, where it's every well, you can't really count winter Olympics too much. But I'm just specifically talking the Summer Olympics, where every four years for two weeks or for the Paralympics, I think it's 10 days, people pay attention to it and then it's out of sight, out of mind. So if you can have it more in their conscience every single year, every summer, something for them to latch onto. I think it's a good thing because it oh, it exposes the sports to so many more people who wouldn't be paying attention normally, even if it takes, okay, this is a military event to get the eyes on it. Well, it's not a bad thing. It's probably, it's helped propel it to a certain extent because it's had Prince Harry's backing. Yeah, yeah. Prince Harry, and at least stateside, I know it's Prince Harry... Land Rover, Jaguar, like premium, you know, premium companies putting their name behind that. And again, if it takes it to be a military attached thing to get it done, I, I'm all for it. I mean, anything we can get more eyes on the sports and get people paying attention, that's a good thing, you know. But then in terms of obviously would it be network wise, you'd have thought with, well, because my background being in, well, brought up in a military environment, I know of AFN, you'd have thought they'd maybe get behind it a little bit and to kind of get coverage because it's coverage wise you've got what afm pacific europe eight and so they've got capabilities somewhat to be able to maybe get things involved the armed forces network Mm. i I think that i i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure the way it worked was the armed forces network showed it later on but the initial viewing had to be through abc and espn because at least stateside that's who held the contracts and I, I I really I wholeheartedly agree that it should have been simulcast um, as part of AFN all over the world, you know, for all the different forces and stuff like that. But again, when, when you get the the other big issue is when you get to that level where you're dealing with contracts and you know people or the sponsorship going, we only want this. You're running into choppy waters. Mm. They make, they, you can you have to wait two or three weeks to show it, and then you can show it, and that's fine. I know that the only American sports that are shown live on AFN is the NFL. Everything else is tape delayed. So, and the NFL does that because they're a very patriotic, if you know what I mean, they back the military. Plus, it's good PR for them. You know what I mean? It looks good for them to go, hey, we'll give away our product to all the men and women in you know, uniform. But if you're Land Rover and you're Jaguar and you're being told that, hey, you're going to get first run on ESPN or BBC, or I'm not even sure where it's shown in the UK, but you know, or wherever it's being shown, you're getting first run live coverage, they're not going to be too happy if it's also getting simulcast on AFN who doesn't have to pay any rights fees to be able to use it. So that may be part of the AFN issue. But then I think, like like you were saying it, but it being, how would you see it view, being viewed as, as a kind of a stepping stone to get into the Paralympics? Some, it depends on the, obviously, the service personnel. In, in, in. The, the thing with the Invictus Games 
that um and, and i know a lot of the guys who participated and they were t- they told me that hey they were treated better you know and you're talking to some of them of paralympians that they were treated better than they were you know why going to the paralympics you know that the that the people who were sponsoring it were just so over the top and making sure that they were taken care of and the, the ceremony and everything like that was great the thing is a lot of the guys that are doing the Invictus games you have a I don't want to I don't want to say this the wrong way you have a big mix of people who've never played sports before or are kind of played sports to guys who are paralympic level you know what I mean so it can be a foot in the door for you that's for sure but it's not anywhere near a guarantee the foot in the door is you're going to get in front of people who watch and recruit for the paralympics you know what I mean like and you have a lot of guys who have the Paralympic coaches help with the Invictus games stateside and people you're playing with or the exposure you're being around that could be a very big catalyst for sure but from the way I was told that uh, they're trying to get as many guys as they can who are newly injured to get them introduced to the sport to get them in front of a spotlight to go this world can be so much bigger than you think it is. Just because you're injured doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do all these amazing things. So they pepper the games with new guys and guys who are high-level athletes and get them to intermix. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Get them to intermix with guys who are newly injured. Like, I know uh, last year one of my friends, he had maybe six months when he went to the Invictus Games, he had been injured. Um, Real great guy, works hard, you know, big story, but the – thing with him was they wanted to get him around other guys who train really hard, who take sports. This is my job. This is serious business for me to show him that if you work that hard, you can get there. So it can be a stepping stone to the Invictus Games. It, it can be an opening door, but it's just like anything else. You know, it, it's what you do with what your opportunity is. You know, if you get in there and you kick the door down and you're like, you know, what? I'm going to show you how hard of a worker I am. I'm going to show you this and you're going to pay attention to me. Then, yeah. But if if it's just I'm going to go there and I'm going to hope someone's going to notice, well, it's like anything else. You know, if you don't use your opportunity, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to do with it. So it's a great opportunity for that. But it's the it's the door that gets open to prove that you're you're worth getting a shot at going to a Paralympic training camp or one of the things. Yeah, well, I think, well, I, I, how, how the British run theirs, I don't know if it's runs when you hear stories of people how they get selected like selection criteria it's like a weird one you're thinking well because like you were saying it's like a gray area is it for helping people with rehab or is it a competitive competition yeah that's kind of that's yeah that's kind of where it is it's it's i i i've i i get asked quite a bit you know like my God, is it, it's, do you, do they, do they get invited somewhere like a training camp? Like if it was a Paralympic training camp trying to try, like to my understanding, to my knowledge, no, you know, I know a lot of the American athletes, um, come through the warrior games, which is like a, just specifically American military, army, Navy, Marines, and then they go to the Invictus games. Um, but is it, is it a, just a, trying to be an elite level competition from everything I've been told? It's supposed to be a camaraderie thing versus just, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to beat the British or we're going to beat the French or we're going to, you know what I mean? Like, that's not. Oh, yeah, but, but you could say that about sport anyway, because it but yeah, in, yeah. within your little clique sport wise, you're going to oh, be yeah. friendlier yeah. per se than with another sport. But then when it comes to compete, it's everyone for themselves. Absolutely. And that's the cool thing about it is that, you know, you do get that environment. And these are veterans, you know, from all the different countries who have shared experience. You know what I mean? So it's 
it doesn't matter what country you're playing for. You've all had a shared experience, which is war. You know what I mean? Like, which is, you know, you served in the military, you're injured from your time in the military. So I don't, I don't know if necessarily making it just, okay, we're going to bring guys in to try out for these teams. You know what I mean? Like is the best idea because then you become something you you're trying to mimic the Paralympics versus being something that can be a gateway for these men and women post-military, post-injury, to show them that life goes on, that life can be so much better. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just a straight, okay, the Invictus Games is going to be the Paralympics for, you know, injured military, and we're going to hold camps, and we're going to exclude all these people who probably could benefit greatly. Because I was, I, I'm, I was lucky to be in Birmingham, to have the Lakeshore Foundation, you know what I mean? To be around all these other injured military, but be around Olympic and Paralympic athletes, like, Every single day you ran across a gold medalist that was coming through who was very encouraging, who explained to me training techniques, who explained to me proper eating, who explained to me, okay, you can do this and this and this and this. A lot of these guys don't have that, guys and girls. You know, a lot of these, you know, uh, ex-military don't have that. A lot of them fall through the cracks. So having an opportunity to go to the Invictus Games, to get that kind of exposure, to be around that kind of training, to be around those kind of people – I think that you don't want to be too exclusive with, you know what I mean? Like you don't really want to be too exclusive because you get away from what it's, from what I understand it's intended to do. And it's a huge honor, you know, it's a huge honor to represent your country in any way, you know, in any international competition that, you know, to me is the peak of it. That's what you strive for to be able to, you know, represent your country at an international competition. And if it's just, okay, I'm representing them against other injured military that goes out your mind once you put that Jersey on. You know, once you put that jersey on, it no longer matters if they're military or whatever. We're going to battle now. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is this is for each other. You know what I mean? Like, that goes out the window. So I think being able to give that honor to the men and women who have been injured, you know what I mean? Or to give that exposure, I I think that that's a good thing. I think it's a really good thing to not be too exclusive with it, to not be too, you know, to say, no, 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 no you've got to train all these years because – if you're going to do it, the point of it is to try and bring them in out from the, you know, out from the cracks, you know, or excuse me, not from out from the cracks, but to, to make sure that they don't slip through the cracks, to bring them, you know, you know, if they're having, you know, uh, issues to where they're going, what do I do now to be able to show them what's available to them, to show them what life can be. So you don't want to exclude the people who were too, you know what I mean, who are too new to it, because my God, I mean, that's an amazing opportunity that some of them may never get. But I think like, like you were raising that, I think it's a mental definitely helping with mental fortitude and things like that because you kind of see it's like a fork in the road for some people who become injured it's the ones that are probably strong-minded okay this is where i'm at this is just a new how would i put it new stage in my life and i'll see the positive sides of it and then but then you've got the other ones uh obviously thinking well I I was able to do this, that, and the other when I was able-bodied. Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, I I get asked to speak and stuff like that, and I always get asked the same question, no matter where I go, which is, what is the hardest part of being injured? You know, what's the hardest thing, you know, for people to go through? And I always tell them, the hardest part is not the injury. The hardest is waking up the day after you get to the hospital when you're by yourself and have to figure out what you're going to do with life. That is the hardest part of it, for, at least it was for me, because I didn't know. I'd lost my career. I'd lost my ability to do everything I'd ever known in my entire life. And then the doctors are gone. The nurses are gone. The encouragement's gone. All that stuff's gone. And now it's you to figure out with life. So if you have this to get those people at that moment, 
You know what I mean? And show them, hey, there is a world beyond what you think. You know what I mean? Especially mentally. You know what I mean? There's so much more because that is a very slippery slope. You know what I mean? That is a very dangerous gray area to be in where you, you know what I mean? Like you don't, why are you waking up in the morning? You know what I mean? Like I've been there, you know what I mean? Like five and a half years ago when I had that allergic reaction and I was in the hospital before someone introduced me to, uh, you know, adapted athletics in this world. I didn't know what I, why I had no reason to wake up in the morning. My career was gone. I didn't have a whole lot. You know what I mean? Like, and then someone said, Hey, here's this. And I went, Whoa, I have a goal. You know what I mean? I have something to go after now. And if that's what this is being used for, I am all for it because it, it, it seems to be, like you said, more of a, the, for, you know, the mental health than, you know what I mean, than anything else to get them around people who have been where they are and, you know, or, you know, and have succeeded greatly. And that's why I do like the mix of new guys versus high level athletes, because you've got the guys who go, you know, I, I didn't know that there was college sports that you could go, you know, play wheelchair basketball at, the, at university. I had no idea that existed. And I had somebody who at the National Veterans Wheelchair Games, which is an exclusively just wheelchair, wheelchair uh, veterans games or, you know, or amputee, but, you know, people who use wheelchairs in the United States of ex-military. And my first year I went there, I had, you know, a guy by the name of Jeff DeLeon, who is one of the nicest people ever. Awesome, awesome guy, you know, talked to me and he goes, God, you know, you can still go back to school like they have university teams that offer scholarships and, you know, do all this stuff and you can travel and compete and, you know, it. That was one of my biggest dreams is being a college athlete. And before I went in the military, I hurt my knees, so I couldn't go. Like, I had college basketball scholarships in the United States, and I hurt my knees, so I ended up in the military because I lost my scholarships. So having someone point out that you can still go live that dream. As a matter of fact, because you're injured, injured like this allows you to be able to, you know, I mean, live that dream. It doesn't negate the possibility of happening, you know. So I always get the, you know, God my wheelchair, my wheelchair was like, no, my wheelchair doesn't disable me. It enables me and it enabled me to go be a professional athlete and a college athlete and, a, you know, all these other things I've been able to do. So like you're saying, you know, having air to be able to guide you is a huge thing. So if that's, you know, I, I, from what I understand, that's what the Invictus games are. And that's why they have the mix of old, you know, more experienced athletes versus younger athletes is to try and get them in that world, you know what I mean? To help have these guys guide them and to be around others like them. So I, I, I go back and forth, I guess, kind of like you, where it's like, geez, do they want to make it a parallel competition? Do they not? But it, it, for me, it's, if, if you can get guys and girls who are, you know, having those issues around the right people, that's a huge deal. That's what it should be about. Well, if we kind of take it into context and look at it from a rehab perspective, yeah. And if you just single out the UK and the US and say what do the governments not actually do is is one the big one is not look after their vet- veterans. Yeah. Yeah. Um it, it, for me I, I the the big thing especially with the Invictus games that I like is that recently and it may have gotten more publicity over there than it did here but it was talked about here is when Prince Harry came out and talked about him having mental health issues him talking about having PTSD, him, that is a huge deal. You know what I mean? Like, cause you, you cannot count on, at least in the United States, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, you know, the, like you're talking about the VA, the department of veterans affairs in the United States, 
they have so many problems when it comes to getting guys mental health, you know, treatment or, or the stigma around mental health treatment, or they don't have enough beds to take care of it, or we, you know, we can't get them in in time or whatever. And there's guys, you know, guys and girls who, you know, are committing suicide because they're not, they're either the stigma of it or, you know, not wanting to go forward with the treatment and worried that they'll be labeled or the opportunity not being there, you know, for, through the VA to be treated. So having someone as high of a stature as Prince Harry come forward and go, I'm dealing with the same things you are. I'm dealing with the mental health issues. I've got to go through it just like you do. That is a huge deal for someone at that stature to acknowledge it. And hopefully, you know, him being a part of the Invictus Games and being a part of that will draw attention to that. I know in the U.S. that um, the Invictus Games is more and more being backed by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And if that's one of the big focuses, is that this is a mental health thing, that this is for uh, a mental health concern that needs to be addressed and by all means, if we can get the attention on it, you know what I mean? Like, and get the funding and, you know, get the things that need to be done. Great. That's exactly what it should be for. But the, a huge step was having Prince Harry not only just step forward to organize the games, but step forward to go, you know, I've got the same things going on you do. And that the governments need to step forward to make this a priority because anybody who served in the military, I don't care where you serve, you, you're not the same when you come out, regardless. If you, if you've got a physical injury that people can see, they always go, oh, see, you know, he served in the military. But there are way more, you know, mental injuries, PTSD and those things that will, you know, that people have than there ever will be physical injuries. People do not serve in the military and come out unchanged. It just doesn't happen. So um, that's a huge step forward, especially Prince Harry being able to come out and go, you know, I've got these issues. Well, you could go even deeper than that. It's even if they didn't have an injury from be it a war zone, they're a changed individual from when they went in, in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no. Like I said, nobody comes. I don't care what you did, how long you were in. Nobody comes out unchanged, even if it's just from the training. You know, I was talking about, you know, I, I just came back um, from uh, vacation with my best friend who I've known for 17 years. We served in the military together. Uh, we were deployed together. He's he's my brother. You know what I mean? Like he is he's my brother. We were talking about that, that nobody comes out unchanged. You know, we, we both were talking, you know, we're like military police officers and we both had the same protective services and he's still a police officer now and everything. And it's like, we were talking about it. Our wives were talking to each other and saying, you know, when we go to a restaurant, our backs are to a wall. We will not sit if our, you know what I mean? To where our backs are exposed, we have to be able to see everything. And we initially come in and just survey everything and our minds just start working on possibilities of what, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, and people will never understand who haven't had to go through that type of thing. Who, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a scar of, you know, being in the military, you know, normal people don't just come in and go, I have to have my back to the wall. I have to, you know what I mean? Like I have to know every single move in this place and play out scenarios that just doesn't happen. So um, everybody, I don't care what kind of training, even just basic training, you know, boot camp, UK Marine, American Marine, American military, Army and Air Force, they, the entire tent and the entire intent of training is to make you different, is to desensitize you. So nobody, you know what I mean? Nobody comes out un, unscathed regardless. So yeah, even if you didn't serve in combat or weren't injured in combat, you're not the same. So to bring light to that, to have it so that people can get treatment without this, you know, the, the stigma of it and to have the backing of the governments to be able to go and get the treatment that is needed. That's a huge thing. And I think that, I think that even if they were just using the Invictus game for PR, that's fine because that means that more eyes are on what's going on. But I think it's, probably mental health period is stigmatized it's yeah oh yeah i wouldn't generalize and say it's just men i think men are more oh, no. more um 
how would I put it, in tune at probably blocking out those kind of emotions and say, yeah, yeah, the, everything's everything's all right. This we'll put this wall yeah. up, everything's okay. But in most, in we'll, we'll say in most cases, at times that's probably not the case. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I don't. I didn't mean to generalize and just say, oh, it's just men. I mean men and women because I and the MP Corps especially. I served alongside is fifty fifty men and women. You know what I mean? Like, and it's. It was never a thought of, at least with me, it was never a thought of, oh, she's a woman and, you know, things don't affect me. No, 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 no. That's a soldier. Okay. That is a soldier. It doesn't matter, man, woman, you know, it doesn't matter. When we go down range, you know, when we get deployed, we're soldiers together. I depend on you. You depend on me. So we both bear the the scar, or both bore the scars of war. It doesn't matter, you know, race, creed, religion, sex, doesn't matter, none of that. If you put on a uniform, you're now a soldier, a Marine, or an airman, or whatever the case is. So it affects them just like it affects me and vice versa. So um, I do believe I, I do believe the, it's the machismo stigma of I can't, like you are saying, like I can't seek mental health, and it makes me seem weak. And that women sometimes, I guess, might be more apt to ask for help over men. But the military, I, honestly, I think the military changes that. I think it's a, the military, you know, macho community affects mm. both women. You know what I mean? Like, no, you, you can't show weakness regardless, even though it, it would be significantly helpful to a lot of people to be able to go, you know what? I need to talk to somebody to get this out. I need to talk this through. I think that that's a big part of the battle is to get that stigma off, regardless if it's a man or woman or whatever the case is, to be able to get that stigma off to go, you know, it is normal. People see things, people do things, and it affects them. And sometimes, you know what I mean? They need to talk it through. There's nothing wrong with seeking mental health. Nothing at all wrong with seeking mental health. And if that's a, if that is, again, with Prince Harry, you know, saying what he said and getting that out there and the Invictus games and all the exposure, if that helps open those doors or helps someone go seek, you know, mental health treatment, then by all means, do that. Do that for them. You know, if that's what they see on TV and go, God, if Prince Harry's going through it, if he's going to talk to, you know, a therapist, if he's, you know, ha- having to take medicine or whatever the case, God, that's kind of normal. You know what I mean? That normalizes it for people. If the people at the top of the, you know, the, the power structure have to, you know, uh, deal with the same things you do, it normalizes it. So that's a, that's a great thing, honestly. And it, again, for men and for women, it's, it's not, shouldn't be thought of as, oh, it's just a guy thing because it's not, you know. I don't know uh, the specifics uh, like the, you know, the UK military, but I know they finally are letting them, women serve in infantry uh, combat roles in the United States, which is a huge deal. So uh, um, saying that saying that it could be just a man thing is, is taking away part of, you know, of what women go through in the military, for sure, especially in combat. But I think it comes back to that underlying issue, obviously, well, the military is about more so in basic training it's breaking the individual so that's be it physical probably more so mentally to get them ready for things well it's it's you have to it's it's a really tough thing because to break somebody down mentally and make them no longer not no longer make them be able to do the things that a lot of people have to do in service to their country you're going to cause mental health issues. It's just the way it is. I mean, you, you can't tell somebody who is a normal functioning human being go into combat and not have fear, you know what I mean? Like, unless you're able to break them down and take that part of why, you know what I mean? Why they should be afraid or why they shouldn't do some of the things they have to do that a normal human being doesn't normally have, you know what I mean? That doesn't have to go through that a combat soldier does. You have to do that. However, on the flip side, 
when they come out of the military, that doesn't disappear. You know what I mean? That doesn't just, oh, I'm out of the military. So now that mechanism that they taught me is no longer needed. I want to put that over here. And them not having that focus and especially identifying people who have done a lot of tours or who have specialized training, you know what I mean, to do some of the things for them not to identify those people when they come out, that it's wrong in so, so many ways. And to not have that, hey, we need to talk and hey, this is not a, a bad thing for you to admit that I need to talk to people about this, that for not to desensitize or not desensitize, for them not to get rid of the stigma when they're coming out of the military and identify them. It's, it's bad and can be dangerous. And it's, it's, it's wrong for any government to send people to combat, to, to send them through training, to break them down mentally. And then when they come home, go, no, we're, you're, we're done with you. You know what I mean? No, you're, you go figure it out on your own and then not, you know, proceed to care. It, it's, it's wrong. And any government that does it, you know, should be ashamed of themselves. But then if you really reflect on it and, and probably think of it like as a general population, uh, post-traumatic stress for a normal individual is probably not I won't try to put it in a negative way but it's not as bad but if you put somebody who's got military training and has mental issues they're technically a killing machine so it's and if they're on the street you're thinking well if they did it actually did kick off a weapon I understand what you're, I, I completely understand. We've, we've had a lot of incidents in the United States with that, where you have people who are ex-military who have mental health issues and, and, and bad things happen. And they immediately go, okay, why didn't the VA identify this? And there, there was a gentleman, uh, I don't want to say gentleman because he did a horrific thing, but I, I'm, it's just how I talk. But there was a man, um, I'm a New Yorker by birth. So I grew up in and out of New York City my entire life. That's where I'm from. And there's a man, I want to say a month ago, who, drove, who had mental health issues. He was a veteran and drove his car through Times Square and killed, I want to say, six or seven people. Um, to my understanding, he had gone and seek mental health treatment through the VA, and the VA um, decided that he wasn't at the level that they needed and you know, to be able to be admitted to be, go to intensive treatment. And then within a couple of months, he did what he did. So it's, it's, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard to go, okay, we should lock everybody away who's got PTSD, you know what I mean? Because, you know, it's, it, you, sh- you should have the opportunity to be rehabilitated. But on the flip hand, like you're saying, having people who have these mental health issues but also have this extreme amount of training, you know what I mean? That if things go bad for them, they can do a lot of harm. I mean, where do you go? What do you do? do you, you know what I mean? Like, wh- where's the answer to that? And my thing is that if you've been in the military, if you've served in combat, if you even if you haven't, but if you most specifically if you've served in combat, that regardless if you have, you know, a rating, you know, through the Department of Veterans Affairs for, you know, your mental health, you should have free access for your life to mental health treatment, discreet, free access to, you know, therapists and medicine, whatever you need, okay, for the rest of your life. Because again, these are the men and women you're asking to bear the scars of battle, you know what I mean? And to protect, you know, I don't want to go into anything deep, but to protect the good people of the world from the bad. And then when they come home, you not treat them for what is you know happened to them it's it's wrong it really it's very very wrong so i agree i personally believe for any country that if you send people into combat when they come home they should have free access to mental health treatment or fit you know like myself you know i'm paralyzed so you know i'm treated for the rest of my life you know what i mean i'm taken care of so why are people who have mental health issues when they come to you and say i've got these issues are they not intensively treated like i have been 
You know, I go every I go every three months to see my doctor, every six months to see my spinal cord injury you know, therapist and everything. And every year they send me for an entire week out to see every one of my doctors. And I go through a battery of tests every single year. What do you need? What's going on? Is this going on? Is this going on? Is this going on? But if you have mental health issues, unless you come to them, they may contact you every six months and say, hey, you doing all right? Maybe once a year. Hey, you doing all right? You know what I mean? Like, it's not the same. We don't treat mental health concerns the same as we do physical. It's just the way it is. Well, it's probably in a way society's probably a little bit two-faced. Mm. I, I can see it, yeah. But again, I think it's more, again, out of sight, out of mind. People don't see mental health issues. People see me in a wheelchair, but you don't see, you know, my friends who have, you know, really bad PTSD standing next to me. You see a guy who's walking around. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see that. And those people, a lot of times, don't want you to see that. So it's up to the, you know, it's up to the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Army and, the, you know, the you know, the governments and everything to know that we have these men and women who served in combat who might have these issues or have expressed that they have these issues. It's up to them to go to them and go, we're going to treat you. We're going to bring you in. We're going to give you the therapy. We're going to do this. If you ask the if you ask most people in the U.S. or the U.K., you know, what, you know, how predominant is PTSD, you know, through the military, you know, I guarantee you very few of them go, oh, yeah, it's rampant because they don't see that on a daily basis. What they see trotted out is people who are missing limbs or who are in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see parades with people who go, I have PTSD. Oh, yeah, but you, you, you could probably add the ones who've got uh, physical ailments to that list as well. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's more, at least in the States, I don't know in the UK, but in the States, it is, everybody knows, you know what I mean? Like everybody knows and goes, we have to treat these men and women. And they, you know you know what I mean? Like they go, these are the ones we have to take care of. And they play and they pay a lot of lip service to PTSD. But from what I can tell, or from what I've seen, you know what I mean? Like that's not what they focus on. They focus on the people they can put on TV and go, Hey, this needs to be taken care of. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm a member of the Paralyzed Veterans of America, and the Paralyzed Veterans of America is phenomenal. You know what I mean? Like, they've done phenomenal things for me and phenomenal things for many, many other men and women who are injured, and not just injured, who have PTSD. Like, they fight to get better PTSD treatment and better, you know, mental health and all, the, all these other things. But even they can't get the attention turned towards PTSD because it's not something that they can most, most, you've never seen. A, they put me in a wheelchair basketball commercial. There's no PTSD commercials. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not, ju they're just not going to promote that. So for people to get focused on it, unfortunately, bad things happen. And that's when people focus on it for a little bit. And that's when they have to jump on it and go, we have to find, you know what I mean? We, we have to find a way to stop this. We have to find a way to treat this. But unfortunately, it fades. And then they go back to what they normally do. And then they stop paying attention to it. And then another bad thing happens wherein we should be able to focus and we should be able to find these people before, because it's not like these people just randomly appear and like, oh, they, they had no idea they had mental health concerns. Almost every one of the people that do these things, you know what I mean, like at least ex-military, have seeked help in some form or way and were denied or weren't given adequate amounts of it. You know what I mean? Like everyone that I've ever seen that goes on at least American television that has you know, whatever, whatever they did, they always immediately go, he is a veteran and somewhere in his file, he seeked mental health. You know what I mean? Like he seeked that out and they said this, 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 and this. Well, apparently he was beyond what you were, you know what I mean? What your diagnosis was and you should have gone further with it. You should have looked deeper or he went there and he was denied. We have a lot of veterans that go to mental health 
that say, I'm thinking of killing myself, I'm thinking of doing this. And then they go to the mental health and they say, well, set up an appointment for two or three weeks or a month or whatever later. And by the time then they go, you know what, it's, it's too much. You know what I mean? Like they commit suicide. There, there are many, many, many cases of that. But it's quickly out of sight, out of mind, and they focus back on the people, you know, like myself, who, you know, who are in a wheelchair or the people who are missing limbs because it's, it's easier to put that on TV than it is PTSD. And the only time you see PTSD on TV is when something bad happens. But that, that probably comes back to, well, if, if we generalize here a little bit and kind of put it in a broader context, even if you put it into a fitness kind of environment, that's probably the last thing you would associate with improving somebody's um, habits. Well, on, honestly, as someone, I, I don't ever had PTSD or really bad mental health concerns, but I did have really, really bad depression after, like I said, I, I lost everything. I had, I had no reason to wake up in the morning. I had nothing. And it was a, it's a mental health thing for me to work out. It's a mental health thing for me to get physical because, you know, you know, I know, you know, very well, you know, you, when you work out, you release, you know, I, I hate, hate to be, you know, that guy and say the happy hormones, but endorphins, <laughs> other things that make you naturally happy, you feel better physically fit and you have a goal to work for. And you, the other thing is you're around, at least in my case, you're around other people who are going through the same things you've got, you're going through and have gotten through that. And there's one thing that human beings, more than anything else, and that is human contact with people who are like them. So if somebody who has PTSD, who goes to somewhere with other people who have PTSD, who go, you know what, I work out all the time, and this is how I figured out how to deal with it, and this is what's going on, and da-da-da-da, that will give that person more motivation because they've seen other people go through it. You know what I mean? Like, they, they people who are similar to them, who have similar shared life experiences, who are doing the same things. Like, I, I just wrote a paper on it, um, I, I did a mental health class and I wrote a paper on that. You know, there are many studies in the United States that if people who are, suffer traumatic injuries or who have PTSD, if they can integrate them or introduce them to adaptive athletics or you know something similar to that, it, it, almost immediately after initial diagnosis, their prognosis for not only not returning to you know the hospital for needed you know help, but succeeding further down in life without having you know significant further mental issue mental health concerns. Is un is astronomical compared to those who don't get that treatment, whose only treatment plan is I'm going to show up and hope the VA gives me the correct medicine. And if they don't, you know, they really don't care about me all that much. But those that are introduced to adaptive athletics, those who are introduced to other people like them, they do so astronomically better than those who don't. Which is the focus, from what I'm understanding, like I said, of the Invictus Games is not just physical athletic competition, but introducing people to others like them at a critical juncture in their life. You know what I mean? Like, but you have to have the mix of top level athletes and people who are just getting out to be able to have that environment and get them exposed and get them around, not just that, but to have their family and their friends there cheering them on and going, God, we're so proud of you. Look at how great you're doing. That is a great mental health boost. You know that. I know that. To have family and friends see you succeed after going through these things is there's almost nothing else like that. You know what I mean? To have them go, we are so proud of you. We're so happy for you. We're so inspired by what you're doing is a huge mental health boost for sure. But even if you're not going to go to that level, even if you're not going to be a Paralympian or you're not going to be in the Invictus Games, daily exercise, it's huge. It's, it's again, it releases a happy hormone. You know what I mean? Like 
you 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 feel better. It's that runner's high. It's that natural endorphin rush. It's that natural thing that your body does to tell you this is good for me. I like this. Please keep doing this. You know, eating eating healthy, getting stop eating. You know, and I can't say a whole a lot because this past week again I was on vacation. I may have not eaten the healthiest, but fifty one weeks of the year, you know what I mean. I I eat you know healthy food. I I stay away as much as humanly possible fast foods and sodas and all that stuff you know what i mean like you, you if you you know you gotta eat greens you gotta eat your vegetables you know low-fat chickens you know you know all that you know what i mean i'm not you know the subject matter expert on that i'll leave that to you however <laughs> like that that's the thing and i always tell people i was like you know one of the other things is like god you have such a great disposition you're so happy you're so this and it's like you can make changes in your life that will make you just naturally happier i don't take any medicine other i take ibuprofen um which is the only thing i can take i use a heating pad i do um tm trans you know a meditation i do yoga and i take uh one medicine to sleep at night and it's just a low 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 dose it's actually so low that when i went to europe and i ran out of medicine they didn't even have it, they had to double my dose to put me i was like oh come on um but i use that to go to sleep and that's it and i don't take anything else and i i have the disposition i do because i get up every day I go work out. I have a wonderful support system around me and family and friends, you know, and people go, well, you know, you're, you're lucky. You get to do all these things. And I, I remind them I'm not lucky. I work very, very hard at, to be where I am. And I had people see me doing that. And there are so many people in this world who, if they see other people working hard, trying to get to their goals, will open doors for you to get there. You know what I mean? Like hard work breeds success. You know what I mean? It's, it's, some of it is, Hey, I was right place, right time. But if I wasn't doing the things I was doing at the right place at the right time, no one would have looked at me at all. You know what I mean? So that, that's, that's a big thing. I don't like when people say, Oh, this person's lucky or that person's lucky because it negates the hard work. But you know what I mean? It negates the hard work for them to, you know, to get where they are. You know, if, if someone said, Hey, James, you're, you're so lucky to be a Paralympian. You're so lucky to be in the great shape you're in. It's like, no, you work your butt off to be there. But, um, the, the eating right and the, being active every single day, you know, I always get told, you know, motion is a lotion. So you keep moving, your body's going to feel better. When, you are, when you're sedentary and your body sets in, of course it doesn't want to move because it has gotten used to not having to do anything. It has gotten used to not having to move your body around and you've gained 30 pounds and of course you feel like crap. But if you start, step one, get up. Okay, I'm going to decide that I'm eating healthier choices today. Step two, I'm going to go for a five minute walk around the house or I'm going to push my wheelchair around and do, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be a giant leap forward every day. Those small steps are what lead to miles. Not, you know, I went out and ran a mile today. No, you small steps lead to miles. So it's the small changes that release the happy hormones. <laughs> I feel so stupid saying that, but the happy hormones, um, that, that, that release those things in your body and in your mind to tell you, you know what, things are getting better. And that helps mentally. That is a mental health thing because you feel better mentally and physically. So yeah, absolutely. I think when you say take it slow and steady, I think we've probably gone that way in society that we want everything now, now, now. So yeah. it's when you get to, like you saying, if you use that example, the mile run, if you're over probably with the word I want overdoing things yeah and then you're not able to sustain it you're thinking oh this is that's why it's things aren't working whereas if you take it yeah. gradually and kind of think of it in the long run okay yes it's going to take longer yeah but it it institutes 
probably more behavior changes and habit and creates habits which you exactly. can then keep for the long run and then well i think from a training perspective that's what we want because i'm teaching you how to uh, to do something you then you're not reliant on anybody else to kind of keep track of you uh, keep keep you tabs of you and and keep you accountable absolutely it's it's a it's a lifestyle change it is you're changing your life you're not changing i'm not going to change my diet for a couple months and go on a fad diet or do this or do that and then as you come off the fad diet you know you, you you go immediately back to what you're doing and you stop training you stop doing this it is if you do the slow steady steps to change your life um it it, it that is sustaining for the long run for sustaining for the moment so you know, it's it's it it's so hard for people to look down every day because they want that scale to drop 20 pounds instantly. And they want them to be able to, you know, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to put up 300 pounds in the bench press and I'm going to, you know, I mean? I'm going to run a marathon and I want, you know, I'm going to start on Monday and by Wednesday I'm going to be able to do it. And it's discouraging to them when it doesn't happen that fast. But if you can get the understanding that I'm slowly changing my life, not just changing my day or my changing my month or changing my year and I'm changing my life for the better. If you can get through that and you can see, and I, I know as a trainer, you see it sometimes too, where you see that light bulb, aha moment. Now I get what I'm supposed why I'm doing, you know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, you get them away from, stop looking at the schedule of five minutes. Stop thinking, oh my God, I didn't run that extra, you know what I mean? Like just that small progression. And then over a year, they look back and go, whoa, look how much I did. You know what I mean? Like, and then their life is completely different. And then they're off and running. It's where you people who think that you're like, you're saying that it's now, 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 that I should be 20 pounds lighter now, or I should be able to go run the London Marathon after training for two days. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure you've been around those people as I have too, but getting people to get that aha moment to get to the gym and get, wow, I feel so much better. Even if I only did a little bit, but man, that moment of me being in the gym, instead of being at the house, sitting down, you know, me being at the gym, working out and they go, wow, I feel so much better. If you can get people to just understand that those little steps every day are going to make you feel amazing in the long run, instead of trying to get the instant huge gratification, they get that little bit each and every day, just enough to keep motivation to go back to the gym every single day and see that little bit of progress. That's where your life changes. That's where life changes for the better. And if you're an athlete or an aspiring athlete, you know, and you're trying to go at any high level, any trainer worth his salt will tell you it's slow and steady. It's slow and steady. It's learning the fundamentals. It's doing things correctly. And then you add on. But if you don't do the fundamentals correctly and you don't do the, you know, the diet correctly and all the little things, you're never going to get to that level of, you know, some of the best athletes in the world. And that's how they do it is that little bit of training, a little bit of diet, and slowly move forward. And then, you know, one of the great sayings is, you know, year, years are, or what is it, days are long, but years are fast. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to look back and go, whoa, it's been a year and a half, and I'm down 30 pounds, and I feel amazing. Or it's been two years, and I've been doing my chair skills in the basketball, you know, for basketball every day, and I've been eating right, and my God, I'm so much faster than these dudes. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the success people need to see you know what i mean and that also goes back to the mental health of if you get them to that point to stop focusing on the stop focusing on uh god it has to happen now and focus on we're 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 in it for the long haul we're not in it for just today life's changed and that's the absolute truth i've seen it It, being around it at lakeshore in alabama and you know what i mean like places like that where people who do things that they never thought they dreamed because they bought into the we're going to work slow and steady it's unbelievable. It's 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 an unbelievable thing. I think from the sporting context, 
it's because well you'd have seen it at the University of Alabama it's your schedule is periodized this you've got a obviously well a year if we break it down just to the yearly planner you've got a year obviously championship at the end of the year and game by game but yeah, at the beginning of the season, you might look at it in the in the in the whole context, but you'll break it down week by week oh, yeah. and, and kind of micromanage things. And, and and as an athlete, you you probably don't go beyond at most probably the the, the day that's at hand, and you'll go session by session because you can't look ahead because yeah. it's not that session is not done. Absolutely, you can't get you you know you, you can't. You can't get me on today. You have today. You don't have yesterday's gone. Tomorrow isn't here yet. You have today. You know, I can see my year, like you're saying, we're, you know, focus on a yearly planner. And I plan out, okay, this week I want to accomplish this. And this month I want to accomplish this. And this year I want to accomplish, you know what I mean? Like I have those goals, but I have to get through today to get to tomorrow. And I only focus on today because that's all I can control is what is in front of me, what is here right now. And I want to put that work in for now because I know that builds and builds and builds. But I don't look forward, oh my God, in a month I should be doing this. No, I need the success of what I'm doing today to be able to build, you know what I mean? To be able to build to go forward. If I don't, if I'm not successful at the little thing of the minutia of what needs to happen, and today, I don't even need to move tomorrow because I haven't accomplished what needed to be done today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's that's how it works. But it, it's again getting people to take off the focus of the year. I want to look a year in advance. I want to look at that year thing versus focus on today. Focus on getting through this workout, doing it correctly. Focus on your meals for today. And that's a that's a big thing for a lot of like you know I I was in the military and I smoked. It was stupid. Shouldn't have smoked, but I. I I quit smoking cold turkey and people go, God, how'd you do that? And it's like, I focused on this moment, this craving, this minute, I'm bigger than my craving. I don't need it. I, nine and a half years later, I, I haven't had a craving, you know what I mean? And I have, and it's, but I focused on the now, the moments that's in front of me and getting past that, you know what I mean? And getting past that craving and getting past it. And it's the same thing with food and people have a lot of problems, you know, with food addiction and listen, I have the worst sweet, sweet the world i love cookies but i also you know what i mean i also know that that moment will pass that craving is going to pass and i can focus on other things so again the the day-to-day planner like you're talking about like being an athlete and being working out is you have to focus on today don't worry about tomorrow make set long-term goals and that's great you said i want to be here in a month and a year but you have to do today you have to make today right or else tomorrow won't matter well it's instilling those building blocks really yeah absolutely Absolutely. You know, and that's, we do it here at the, you know, like Alabama, we train, you know, like I'm sure any other university or high level sport, you train five to six days a week. You train two to three hours in the morning. You train, you know, you do your weights, your cardio, you do extra shooting, you do this, you do that, but you focus on today's training, today's workout, today's shooting, today's chair skills. And tomorrow when we get here, we'll focus on what tomorrow is. And then you do those building blocks and oh my God, in a month, the thing you thought you'd never be able to do, you've done, you know what I mean? You're going to surpass it, but Getting people past the long term and getting the focus on what they're on now is, to me, the key. The key to focus on this moment. You know what I mean? And then the building blocks of it all. Yeah, take you where you want to go. Well, it's getting people to use the right wording at times. I think as well. It's I want to do this. That's not really a specific goal. Yeah, exactly. Well, setting goals. Yeah. Well, I want to do this. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to lose fifty pounds. Okay. Well, how do we want to get there? What What are we going to do to get where we need to go? Well, I'm going to do exercise. Well, what exercises are we going to do? Okay, well, I'm going to get healthier. Well, how are you being healthy? You know, getting people to wrap their mind around, okay, it's not just 
these grand, like you're saying, and I'm sure as a trainer, you've again, that's your budget, not these grand gestures or grand goals. Focus on the smaller things. Focus on, stop saying, I want to lose 50 pounds. Okay, this week, we're going to try and lose a pound. And this week, we're going to try, we're going to cut out, you know, um, we're going to cut out McDonald's or Burger King or whatever, you know, uh, for a day or two. Or we're going to substitute fries for the salad there. We're going to, you know what I mean? Like, like you're saying, the little change of terminology, the little building blocks that lead to big walls. You know what I mean? That lead to the big gains down the road. Getting people's, getting people's terminology changed and getting their mind wrapped around, you know, that this is a long-term thing, that, but you have to do it day by day is a huge deal, yeah. But like we were saying, like throughout this podcast, it all comes back to the mental mental approach people take. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing is you can't instill motivation in people. Fake false motivation coming from the outside is never going to sustain. It's just not going to. Like as a trainer, you can motivate somebody only so much. You can, you know what I mean? Like you can motivate them only so much. Eventually, you have to take. Self, you have to take responsibility for your own self, for your own life, for your own actions, and go. I'm going to do this because I want to do this, not because James is telling me and yelling at me at the gym and hey, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, or you know what I mean? Like it has to be for you. you know I mean, like I said, when I quit smoking, it wasn't for anybody else in this world. It was for me. When I, you know, when somebody came to the room and said, Sean, you know. God, you're big, you could do this. They showed me an opportunity, but there was nobody there every single morning. It was, I'm trying to do this for me. I want to do this because I want to do this for me because this is something that means something to me. And if people have that motivation, they can get outside motivation from you and from me or whoever else and go, this is a great thing. You should be able to do this. But that self-responsibility, that personal responsibility, that motivation inside one, is that's what is sustaining throughout life. And for, you know, it, I, always, I always say, like, if you're going to set a goal, that's great. But, a, you know, a goal without a plan is a witch. So you have to, you know what I mean? Like, you have to go, this is what I'm doing. These are the reasons behind it. If you want to lose weight because you want to feel healthier because you have friends and family, or if you're older and you want to live for your children, or you're younger and you want to be an athlete, or whatever the case is, that's great. But latch on to that motivation, the reason you're doing what you're doing, and use that to propel you. Because we all have those days, and I know you do, and every athlete and every person who goes to the gym has days. We don't care about being there at all. We'd rather be home. We'd rather be sleeping. We'd rather be having the burger versus a salad. We'd rather be having that. But those are the days where our motivation, where we have to remind ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. And that's the motivation to get there. When it's pouring rain or when it's freezing outside or when you're hurting and you just don't want to get up or you'd rather, you know what I mean? Those are the days where self-motivation has to kick in and you have to remind yourself, this is this is a reason I set the goal. This is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And constantly remind yourself of the goal and the reasons that is huge if you, if you can get someone to constantly remember i'm doing this for this reason and that motivation they're gonna they're gonna be just fine i think from if i use myself as the example as an athlete you kind of have an external motivation to some degree because you can when you're having those bad days you can kind of put in your mind well if i don't do xyz training wise Somebody yes. else in the world is probably doing that. So that's your motivation. Well, yeah. I mean, even right now, I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go play in Europe. And I want to play against some of the best players. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to be over there. And, like, as we're talking here, I mean, I'm going, all right, as soon as I get done, I know there's players out there right now that are doing all that cardio. There's, like, I was just watching this thing, you know, Magic versus Bird. And Larry Bird was talking about it. He goes, you know what? One of my biggest motivations was I always go, 
cheating. I wonder how many shots, magic shots, that he probably put up 500 shots. So I need to get to the gym and put up 500 shots. You know what I mean? I need to be, because there's somebody out there right now as we're talking who's working harder than me, and I can't accept that. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to be great, especially if you're trying to be a great athlete, you cannot accept mediocre in yourself. You have to know that there are other people out there that are trying to be better, that are trying to be a better shot, trying to be faster, getting healthier. So you have to take that, like you're saying, that external motivation and go internalize it and go, this is the fuel I'm going to use to become great. This is the fuel I'm going to use to get there. And hey, if that's what it takes, like me, I go, I'm trying to, I, I'm going overseas to play ball and I know I'm going to play against some great players and there's no way on earth I'm going to let them show me up. So I'm going to be at the gym tonight. So it'll be eight o'clock at night doing my weights, doing my chair skill, doing my shots to make sure I get it in. I'm tired. I'm not feeling well today. I've had a chest cold, but that's not going to stop me because I know that the work I put in today is going to benefit me tomorrow against them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, you're right. I agree that there is that external motivation. That's also to me, an, it's, it's an internal motivation because you have that internal goal of going, I want to get to this level, but it's the outside, the outside pressure from getting to that, you know what I mean, from other people who are working that hard just going to push you. But it's still got to be internally going, I want to do that. You know what I mean? You have to believe that I want to do that or I'm going to do that to let that outside pressure, you know what I mean, like push you forward. So a lot of great athletes that I've ever read about that have been around have that same, I'm not going to let that guy train me. I'm not going to let that guy outwork me. So that's their motivation. But whatever it is your motivation, you know, whatever it is that you're going to use to get there, Go for it. You know, if that's what you've got to use, then go for it. But even if, if even if it's just a day-to-day person going, I want to get healthier, whatever your motivation is, if it's, you know what, I've got kids that I want to live for because I'm, you know, in my mid-50s or something like that and I'm overweight and have any problems. Or if you're younger and you're like, you know what, I want to get healthier because of, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the case is, then use that as your motivation. But, you know, whatever motivation it is that you have to take to make you a better person, go for it. But as long as it's internal motivation – that's the key because external motivation of someone being, oh, I'm accountable to my trainer, I'm accountable to my coach, that's only going to take you so far. It's got to be that personal responsibility and motivation that gets you over the, you know, gets you over the hill, gets you to that next step. And in terms of your own personal motivation now, would you come in overseas? What is your aspiration? I want to play at the highest level. I, I want to challenge my, I played here at the University of Alabama for the last three years. I, I have been lucky enough to play with four of the best players in the world. Um, all four Team Australian players played with what's considered universally probably the best last one in the world right now, Yannick Blair, who plays for Team Australia, phenomenal player. Um, three of the guys are um, U23 Australian players, Michael Offrens, who is a just a beast, just a huge guy. <laughs> Unbelievable training, you know, motivation. Like he's, I'll say this about Offie. We, we call him um, Michael Offrens Offie, nickname. He is the hardest working person I've ever seen in wheelchair basketball. Bar none. Never seen anything like this kid in terms of chair heels and weight and shooting and cardio and anything he can name a film study, everything. He is a three, I want to say a 3.8 uh, GPA uh, student. He's there. He is in the gym as part of university, while being at university, okay? He's in the gym eight hours a day during school. Okay, he is there in the morning. He's the first one there in the morning. He's the first one there at night. And being around him motivated me even more. I, I'm not gonna lie. I try to keep up with Offie, but Offie is ten years my junior. <laughs> 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 so there's sometimes where it's like Offie. I, I, I gotta take a little bit of a break here. But being around those guys, being around Jordan Bartley, and being around Ryan Morris and Yannick Blair, and you know James Cook, who's an up and coming class one. You know he'll be on the U20. 
you know, sooner rather than later. And being around Rashad and uh, the younger players, man, that is motivation beyond belief to go, God, I got to compete with these guys. You know what I mean? I got to compete with guys through 10 years of my junior. I've got to work harder. But coming to Europe to play, I want to play against the best. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 you know, I'm doing this podcast with you and everything. So, and me being so close, I'm gonna, when I get over there, we're going to have to go against each other at least one time. There's no doubt about it. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to have to find a meeting place while I'm over there. We're going to have to go one-on-one because I've seen some of your videos. I, I know what you can do. So, we're going to have to go <laughs> But you know, getting getting to play and and getting to play against some of the best players in the world that I other I, I, I otherwise wouldn't be able to do if I stayed stateside. I love the challenge. You know what I mean? Like I'll be, you know, I'm older. I'll be 36 when I hit um, little. Um, but I am in the best shape of my life because I've been, you know, working my butt off against some of the best players in the world, and that is unbelievable motivation. It's to play against these guys every day. It's to be over there and train every day. Is to you know what I mean? It, it, I don't judge success by am I going to win a European championship? You know, I mean that's not what I judge that by. I judge success by did I improve myself? And did I you know, every single day? Did I become a better player every single day? And I think by going to Europe and playing against the you know the highest level players I can play against, that's that's the that's the watermark right there. That's the benchmark of do you know can I show up against the best players in the world who are younger than me too? That's a big motivator is, again, I, I have to work harder and eat better and train, you know what I mean, smarter because of my age to go play against 23 and 24-year-olds. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, that's a huge thing. It's the challenging myself, and, you know, against the best players in the world. And right now, some of the best leagues in the world are, you know, Germany, France, Spain, Italy. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's some of the biggies. I'd also like to come to, you know, like I said, come to the U.K., and, just, you know, play some pickup games against some of the best players there who aren't already in Europe. You're, you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to do that. You know, I had an offer a few years back to come um, play, uh, you know, do some scrimmaging and stuff with, I want to say it was the London Titans. Yeah, that's right. To play at the Copper Box, and I just wasn't able to work out. Um, I was trying to get it done. I wasn't able to have other scheduling things going on. So I'd love to do that. You know, that is, if you're an athlete, your main goal should always, well, one of your main goals should always be to challenge yourself against the best players in the world at whatever it is you do. If you're not in the business of trying to play against and beat the best players, I don't know exactly what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, that should be, you know, your goal. If you want to be a top-level athlete, I want to challenge myself against the best. I don't want to play against the ones who are easier than me because then what you're really doing. You're not really, you're not getting back if you're playing against lower level competition. And you're not, you know, you're not uh, approving yourself at the highest level. So that should be everybody's goal. If you want to be a Paralympian, if, you, if you know, your goal is just, I want to play high level basketball or rugby or whatever it is, it should be, I want to challenge myself every day against the best possible players I can. So that's, that's it. That's the motivation is I want to come play against the best that I possibly can play at. I think that comes down to like a definite mindset that you're talking about because you'll see younger players, I won't generalize and say it's just them, but there's certain individuals, they've got something, maybe it's not mental fortitude that they try and take the easy route or I'll defend a player that I'm better than because it's not difficult. Whereas, well, like yourself, I'll never shy away from somebody. If somebody's better than me, that's one way of learning. Exactly. That's the other thing. Is I played in Lyon, France before I came back to the United States. I got an opportunity to play in Lyon for uh, four months in 2014. And it was funny. The first game I played in Lyon, first game, it was actually in, um, I've never said it right, here. It's in the south of France. It's down near Marseille and everything. And they, um, on that team, they had a gentleman by the name of Josh Trick. 
Josh Turk is one of the best scorers in the world. He plays for Team USA. He was a leading scorer for like three years in a row uh, for Team USA in international competition. And I had never played defense against a player in, at his caliber when I got there. <laughs> they, they said, who do you want to be up? And I said, I want to play Josh because I want to test myself. Absolutely. But I learned. I learned box by playing against, you know what I mean? Like defensively, I learned, oh, I can't do that against a guy who can do this against me. I can't do that against this. Oh, I can't put my chair in that position. Or I, you know what I mean? Like I learned so much by getting my butt kicked for 40 minutes by Josh Turek that I hadn't learned in the two years that I've been training. Like he whooped my butt, but Josh was one of the nicest people. Cause not only did he whoop my butt, he was going, Sean, you try, try doing this when you do this chair, Oh, move your chair like this, or maybe this is a better training technique. And a lot of guys, if you're playing, if they can tell someone's trying to learn or if they're trying to work hard, they're going to help you that way. So why wouldn't you play against the guys that can teach you? You know what I mean? Not just by, you know, not just by talking, but by whooping your butt. You're not going to learn any lessons by beating people constantly. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, I don't, oh, maybe I'll just do this guy over here because it's easier. No, you need to learn how to defend the guy who's better than you. You know what I mean? That's the guy you have to defend because, you, you know what I mean? Like you, I could stay safe side and I can play, you know, lower, lower basketball and stuff like that. And I could do really well, but I'm not getting better. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not challenging myself. And if you're not challenging yourself as an athlete, I don't know what you're playing for. Yeah, I just, I don't, I, I've never understood that. If you're not, cha- like, right now the NBA Finals are going on, and tonight, you know, it's, it's game five, you know, Cleveland versus Golden State. If you were, if you're the, if you're the Golden State Warriors, okay, and you're just running through everybody all year long, and last year you got embarrassed by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you showed up, and it was the Toronto Raptors you were playing in the, in the Finals, you would be pissed. You know what I mean? Like you, because now you you don't have the opportunity to challenge yourself against the best, and you know the best is LeBron and the Cavs. They're the ones that beat you last year. They're the ones that embarrassed you last year. Okay, and those are the ones you want to prove to the world that okay, we're all right. Now we're back. We've learned. We've understood. You know what I mean? We've gotten better, and we're going to show you that. You know what I mean? Like I don't understand athletes who don't want to challenge themselves. Who wouldn't? You know what I mean? Like that's the what are you getting out of it by not challenging yourself? I, I've never understood that. So if I was going to act. Any advice to younger athletes? Find the best player at your sport that you can possibly play against and play against them and learn. You know what I mean? Like learn from being the – learn from losing. You don't learn anything from winning. You only learn from when you've lost. You know what I mean? From when you lose. You don't learn from winning because nobody ever goes back and studies games that they won. And if they did, they're foolish. <laughs> like, you go back and study the games, you, you know what I mean? Like what happened in this? Why did I let him get in that chair position? Why did I not jump out harder when they were coming down? Why did I not do this on the press break? Why did I not do this? No one ever goes back and, you know, they may go look at their highlights, but they're not learning from that. They're not going, oh, man, I dropped 30 on a team who couldn't touch me. Great. What would you do against a team that was shutting you down all game? You know what I mean? You had five points against them. What did you do against them? What did you take from that loss? You know what I mean? Like, what? why are you not studying that tape? That's the one you need to study again. And if I'm that guy, man, when I see them again, oh, I'm, I've am looked at every drop of tape. I've looked at everything you did to stop me, and I'm coming out to prove again why I'm the best. You know what I mean? Or, like, mm-hmm. why you have no chance stopping me, why that was a fluke. Well, I, I think I've had teammates ask me, probably more so, well, now I've come down to domestic level with and say, why am I so hard on myself? When I well, when they perceive I played well, I think it's probably because of my background with sports science. You're reflecting all the time. You're looking at the okay, you might have played well in their eyes, but you're looking at those things that you didn't specifically do execute very well. 
So that's that's probably nitpicking a little bit, but uh, no, I understand what you mean. I'm I don't play against you. I'm playing against me. I'm playing against my standards. And if it's not up to my standards, then I play bad. I, I understand it completely. The, I play against you know my. I mean, like I don't want to sound like oh I'm I'm so great. And that's not what I mean. But when I get on the court, did I play better than what I played last game? Did I play up to the standard of what I should be playing? You know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah, absolutely. You should be measuring yourself against great players, but also through past performances. You know what I mean? If you go out and you played great against this team one week, and then you come back and play the same against the same team the next week, and you play terribly, of course you're going to be like, yeah, I played like crap. Okay, I had 20 points, but I let that guy get into that position over there, and I let that pass go through, and I threw that one away, da da da, da. That's not nitpicking. That's how you get better. That's how you maintain your stature as a player is not going to your success. You're looking at, you know, what you did wrong, you know, and for them to say, oh, you played great is wonderful. But if in your mind, oh, you're replaying over and over and over again, is that pass you threw away? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's what matters because that's how you, if you listen to the great players of all time in any sport, but if like basketball, if you listen to Jordan, you listen to those people, they don't ever, t- you'll never hear Jordan say, you know, in this one game, man, I had 55 points. And I did this and this. You'll hear him go in that game. I missed that shot. I did this wrong. I missed that call. I did this. And that's, that's why they're great is because they recognize their things and they don't ever get too high on compliments. You know what I mean? They don't ever get too low. You know what I mean? Like on the negative stuff, but they focus in on what they need to improve, not what they're doing well. And that's, that's absolutely, that's the greatness. That's someone who's going to go far because they're focusing on God. Yeah, I did that. And I, did I help my team succeed? Did I, you know what I mean? Like, did I bring my best basketball game I possibly could? So it, it, I do the same thing. And I, I've probably seen the games that I've won in twice if we're doing film study, but the games I played bad and the games I felt that I didn't do the right things, hundreds of times, hundreds of times, over and over and over. That's what that's where I, you know what I mean? That's the flaws, and that's where I learn what I, you know, what I can do better. So, especially against, again, playing against great players, playing against international-level players, and that type of thing. Those are the, you, I guarantee you, you did the same exact thing with film study. You went home, and you got the game that you felt you played bad again, and, and you start over and over going, oh, if I'd have just had this, or I allowed him to do this, that way the next time you came out, you didn't do it again. Well, I think, well, especially if kind of separate the two between domestic level and international I think internationally, it's uh, sports analysis is is paramount to it because it's they'll look at every single tendency a player has. So you have, well, as, you kind of have no excuse as an athlete. You, you they've done it all for you. This person does this, this, this. This all what they'll do in. If I use volleyball as the, as the example, what they'll do in this rotation. So you've kind of got well, okay, there's eight. Say a, a plan A, plan, plan, the better teams will probably have plan C, but the some of the teams will only have plan A and plan B. We stop, stop this. This is what they'll do. Okay, we've done, we've stopped those two. Now what are you gonna do? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But even at club level, you pay each other so much that you should have a good idea. You know what I mean? Of what the other teams do, what their best players do, what kind of okay. He's left-handed shooter, so you know which side he likes to roll to, or he's a 45 off the glass kind of guy, or he likes to roll to the free throw line, or he likes to, you know what I mean? Like, you play each other so much that you should be able to know those tendencies. And if you're an athlete who wants to play at a high level, that's the thing you start developing is recognizing other players' tendencies, recognizing what other teams do, or recognizing what you do well or what you don't do well and focusing on that. Okay, I'm not a... I don't like to push out on defense, so I need to focus on specifically when they come out and pushing, you know, pushing them out beyond the 
three-point line or you know, making better chair contact or whatever the case is. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of it. The minutia of the game is, you know, a big part of how you're winning. Understanding, I do this well or I don't do this well. Or, I, you know, this guy is, no, God, he's left-handed or he's this way. or You know what I mean? Like, you play them enough. So even if you don't have the... You know, great, you know, like you're saying, sports analysis. You don't have 10 cameras at every game, picking up at every angle and, and you know, having a trainer or, or you know, a, a team manager sending you film and check these things out. You, if you want to be a great player, even if you're a club player who just wants to improve, you know, what he's doing, grab a hold of the footage or watch other players play. You know, if you're on the bench, there's the other thing I hate is people who are like, oh, I'm not playing, so I'm not going to pay any attention. No, 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 no. If you were on the bench, Spend every single second watching other players play, learning what they're doing, learning how they're ahead of you. If you go, God, I, I think I should be better than that guy. Well, what is he doing that's in front of you that the coach thinks is better than you? You know what I mean? Like, learn from him. Ask him questions. Don't take that as like, oh, I'm on the bench, so I don't need to do anything. No. If you're on the bench and you want to be a starter, guess what? Sit there. Learn. Watch. Absorb. And then when you get your opportunity, show the coach that you've absorbed it all. Show the coach that you've learned from what he told you to do. You know what I mean? Like that he's told you to learn about. You know what I mean? Like, that's how you get better. You know what I mean? Like that's how you get better besides just putting the hard work in. Just showing that you were willing to do what the necessary things are to get better. And if, I have a, if I'm a coach and I have a guy who's on bench who can regurgitate to me every single play that's happened, every, you know what I mean, like every single thing that's happened in that game, and this is why they did this, and I'm going to be more apt to give him playing time. Because I want to, you know what I mean, that's somebody who's paying attention. That's somebody who's showing me the initiative of I'm here, but I want to be there. You know what I mean? Like, so just because you don't have the, you know, the videotape to be able to analyze everything doesn't mean you can't take the opportunity to learn. Even if you're on the bench, you can take the opportunity to learn, and that's how you get better, is by learning from people who are better than you. Well, you do, to some extent, Sean, have that video camera, but it's, it's up here, so you can replay things back in your mind. If you're a player on the bench, even if you don't have the video camera, you can watch. You know, you can watch if I'm on James Roberts' team, and I'm watching him just light, you know, just light somebody up, and I go, oh, that's how he did that. Or, oh, he did that like that. Or, oh, he shut him down because... He made chair contact the whole way. You know what I mean? Like he had chair contact the whole way, so he had no place to go. Or he was ultra aggressive in getting out into his chair. You know what I mean? Like that stick on moment of going, oh, I'm going to watch James do Oh, okay, so that's how I need to be doing it. And then when he gets on the court, when he gets his opportunity, he does that. You know what I mean? Like that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to watch those who are in front of you who are better than you or who are at the moment perceived as better than you, and learn from them and see the things that they do that you know, you're know you not quite as good at. And then when you get out there, you do those things, you execute those things, and that's how you get better. That's how you learn. There is no excuse for anybody to go, well, we didn't have a camera, so I can't watch game film. Did you watch the game? <laughs> what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, you on Facebook or something? What were you doing? Like, if you're watching the game, every moment in practice, I had a game, whatever, that is a moment to learn. To get better, because there is nobody on earth. I don't care if you're Kevin Durant or Michael Jordan or LeBron James or pick whoever you want. They will tell you I learn something new every day. Every day I go to the gym and I work on something. Like LeBron, a couple years ago, wasn't great at his left hand. Did you see what he did the other night? He flipped it. He drove halfway into the lane, turned away from the guy, left-handed, and launched one. Okay, like it was ridiculous. He couldn't have done that three years ago. But he recognized that flaw in his game, and he just worked on it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care how great you are. You, everybody has flaws in their game. You know what I mean? Like, it's for someone to go, well, I don't want to watch the game, or I'm going to be disinterested because I'm not in at this very moment. 
that's that's a horrible excuse, and I wouldn't want you on my team. I want guys who are going. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to take every opportunity I can to learn, to talk to. You know, like again, you, you're a wealth of information. But I mean, like if I'm a young player, I'm going to. I did the same thing. Like when I first started playing basketball again at Lake, I'm gold medalist, and I went up to Kimi Campion, and I went up to. Uh, Mary Allison Midford, who's a gold medalist, and I went up to all these other players, you know, and when Brian Bell came in, you know, I went up and go, you know, these are things I'm wondering. These are things I want to work on. How do I get better at them? What would you do? What, you know what I mean? What are the skills? You know what I mean? Like, take those opportunities to talk to those people. Like, if I'm a player on your team, I'm going up and going, James, I, you know, I don't quite know how I'm doing this. I don't quite, you know, figure this out. Or what, what would you do? Or how would, you know what I mean? I thought you're going to be like, oh, great, perfect. Because that's someone showing initiative that they want to get better. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to take the time and you're going to show them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't quite understand how, you know, our defensive formation is supposed to push out right. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. If you're a young player who's trying to get to that next level, take the opportunity to learn from being on the bench or from being around better players or for whatever the case is. Learn every single day. And then when you get your opportunity, put it into play. I think, well, you, you probably, well, we didn't raise this one is, I think, from if you're on the bench, you can see the bigger picture than what you're actually playing. It's, it's like if you're watching it on TV. You're watching it. You can see everything develop. You can see everybody doing what they're doing. You have a panoramic view of a first-person panoramic view of everything that's happening in front of you. And if you're watching it, if you're on, in the game, you are missing so much. You know that because you're in the game. You're focusing on what's right in front of you and what's around you, and you're not seeing this guy do this and this and this. But if you're trying to learn, sitting on the – I mean – People think it is it's, it's emotion. Oh, I'm on the bench. Oh, I'm not a good player. You should take that as, again. That's an like you're saying, an opportunity to see the whole game to improve your game. And again, I I always say, when you have your opportunity, be prepared, be ready to go in and show them why you shouldn't come out or show them why you should. You know what I mean? Like you should be getting more playing time. But that preparation starts when you're sitting over there and you're watching James and you're watching all the other teammates go up and down the court and learning and watching what they're doing. And that preparation starts during the week when you're in the gym or you're eating those, you know, making those food decisions of going, oh, I don't really want a salad. I'm going to eat the burger. Well, guess what? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, if you're going against me, guess what? I've been in the gym all week. I've been eating healthy. I've been training my butt off. I've been watching the other players play. I've been watching any game field I can get my hands on. Not just games I'm playing in. I'm watching the U23 tournament right now. I'm watching the Paralympics. I'm watching Worlds in August. I'm watching the best players in the world play. I'm learning from them. You know what I mean? Especially in this day and age in the internet, like we're what? Six, 7,000 miles away having a conversation over a phone. You have access to so much information as a player that generations prior to us never had. There is zero excuse for you not to be watching every bit of basketball or whatever sport it is you're playing anytime if you're trying to get to an elite level. Or even if you're a club player who's just trying to play better basketball, you should be soaking up every bit of information and every bit of gameplay you possibly can. So there is no excuse because right now you can go on YouTube and you can watch every single great player. I know I listened to the Pat Anderson one you had a couple weeks ago. I think it was about a month ago. Pat is the greatest player. There's this. He's Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? He's Michael Jordan in wheelchair basketball. There's, and I guarantee you if you ask Pat, what should I be doing? He should be, he'll tell you, you should be eating right. You should be training. You should be soaking up every bit of bath while you can and then going to the gym and doing your chair skills and executing what those guys are doing. You know, trying to learn from the best players in the world. You know, I guarantee you, you know, if you ask him right now, absolutely. That's what you should be doing. And if you're a great, or if you're a basketball player, a young guy who's trying to learn, you're not going to 
much better than going and buying Pat film or, you know, Brian film or Matt Scott or yourself or, you know, all the myriad of other great players that have come through every country you can think of in the last 20 years. I mean, there's so much information out there that you should be soaking up on a daily basis. And trust me, if you're trying to play at an elite level, there are hundreds of other players who are out there doing more than you right now if you're not putting in the work. You're not, like we were talking about earlier, you're not just going to roll into a gym or get a Paralympic invite because you think that you should. It's not how it works. <laughs> like, it's just not how this thing goes. So, well, you're going down a slippery slope with that, having that kind of mindset as well, thinking you deserve something. But, but absolutely. But you and I both know there's a lot of people and a lot of players, especially, that have that. Oh, because I'm this person, or oh, because I did this, I should. No, that's not, nobody deserves anything, you know, especially in our world. You know what I mean? Like, Nobody deserves anything. If you're not going to put in the work, then have a nice day. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know any Paralympic level coach, you know, who's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You don't have to put the work in. We think you're naturally good. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I've got this guy over here. I've got 10 other guys who are as good as you. But guess what? They all put the work in. You know what I mean? Like, they're all working to improve every single day. You know what I mean? So if you've got the mindset of I want to be a great player, there are so many things you can do. You could be sitting in your house studying the film. You know, you can ask my wife. Last year, I had to have shoulder surgery. I, I tore my labrum. And I said, and you can ask her, in one hand, I had my um, iPad watching. Um, I was watching game tape of my own game tape. And then I was watching the run-up to the para, to the pairs in Rio and everything. But in my left hand, since I wasn't, had, didn't have a great left-handed shot, I sat there with the ball for six weeks just shooting it left-handed over and over and over. And guess what? This year I had a really good left-handed shot that I had developed because I took the time. I saw down times, but I saw an opportunity to improve. I watched game film. I studied what I had been doing better. And all year, everybody I played against and my coach is like, you were by far playing the best basketball you've ever played. And that is coming off of a major shoulder surgery. I was faster. I was, you know, I was faster. I weighed less. I had a better left hand. I've been working mentally on reps. You know what I mean? Like seeing myself go through this, seeing myself do that. By the time I got in the court, it was muscle memory at that point. You know what I mean? Like, my mind knew what it was supposed to do and just did it. I didn't think about it. And that was just, I was sitting in a chair for six weeks and couldn't do anything. So, if you're trying to get better, you you know, there's no excuse for any time that you couldn't be used. You know what I mean? Like, getting better on the bench, you know, and if you have doubt, whatever. You have the opportunity to learn from others and then go execute. And last question before we wrap up the podcast. If you had to summarize this entire episode into one sentence, what would that be? Motivation. That's a good question. Motivation. One word. It's 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 self motivation. It's it's the motivation for yourself to get better. You know what I mean? Like it's it's in that kind of my life. You know, has been is. People on the outside can, you know, try, you know, outside forces can try and motivate you and outside forces can, you know, push you a little bit, but it's self-motivation. It's you being determined that this is either I want to be greater. This is not going to be my life or I'm going to beat this or I want to get healthier. That has to start in you. You know what I mean? Like outside forces can get you going, but it has to start in you and it has to keep going with you. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, once I don't even know if I, it's, it's, you know, well, two words, self-motivation. It's, you have to find it in you what, what it is that's going to drive you. You know, you know what I mean? Like what it is that's going to make you get up every day and go forward. If you want to be a great athlete, if you just want to be healthier, if, you, you know, if you're having trouble, you know, like we're talking mental health and everything, you know, it's, it's, you, it's you. You have to be the one. You have to be the person to make that first step. 
other people help you get there. Other people open doors and, you know, have opportunities once they see you're working. But it's self-motivation. It's that, that you know, that's where I would go is self-motivation. Yeah. I think that's probably a good, le- well, good words to live by that one. Yeah, that's my, uh, my, my, my life motto is till the wheels fall off, which is you get up every day and you just go as hard as you can. You know what I mean? Like we've only got one life. You've got only got one go around and you, you know, why waste it not doing everything possibly can and being the best possible person you can be. Cause when you look back on your life, you know, you're not going to go, gee, I was, I, I was able to watch, you know, all five seasons of the walking dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it was cool. Oh, you're going to look back and go, man, look what I accomplished by working hard. Look at it. Look, I got so much healthier and I lived so much longer. I was able to accomplish that dream I was able to accomplish. Or if you're me, you know, my goal when I started is I wanted to be a Paralympian. And the things that have come to me along the way while trying to attain that goal have been so much greater than I ever dreamed. And the, the Paralympian thing, while it's a goal, is is not that big of a deal anymore in the sense that I've achieved so much more than I ever dreamed by trying to reach my goal. My life has become so much greater than I ever dreamed by trying to reach that goal that it changed my life by having that goal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That even if even if I never was able to be a Paralympian, you know what I mean? Even if that day never came, not that I'm going to stop trying anytime soon, but even if that day came, I'm not going to look back and regret the hard work I put in because it changed my life. That that was that self-motivation. That was that goal that I had internally that motivated me to get where, you know what I mean, where I am today. And I, I am beyond words blessed, you know what I mean, in my life because I put that goal in front of me and worked my butt off to get it. And then good things came along the way. And I tell everybody that it's, if you're willing to put in the work, good things will come. I mean, that's just the truth. I think, well, I think, well, I could probably put parallels with that. Okay, I, I got to the Paralympic level. But as a youngster, did I think I would get to that level? Probably not. But yeah. once I finished my career and reflect back on it, I didn't achieve well, the elusive gold medal. But... It's like you say, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't define me as an individual that I didn't get there. Uh, probably the, that just over a decade as an athlete has made me the person I am today. It's, and, it, and it's kind of it's taught not, you a few things along the way to how to treat people and things like that. Not the destination, it's the journey getting there. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to, you may, you're going to remember, you know, the Paralympics and stuff, but you're going to remember your mates. You're going to remember the hard work. You're going to remember those moments more than anything else. And that's the key. You know what I mean? Like you, you were, you learned so much trying to get where you were trying to go, but you didn't even realize it until you stopped and looked back and you went, wow, I did all that. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Like look at what I was able to accomplish when I wasn't even thinking about it because I was focused on something else. I was focused on a goal, but it was the journey to that goal that made me who I am. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing for me. And that's the thing for a lot of people that they should be, they shouldn't be so concerned about the destination. They should be concerned about enjoying the journey to get there. Exactly. I, I, exactly. I, I probably agree with that, that sentiment entirely. I think when you, when you do finally leave it and you could probably put this in a military uh, analogy as well, it's not the, lifestyle that you miss is the people that you're around 100 percent, 100 percent. i don't miss the military i miss my friends 
You know what I mean? Like I miss those moments with the with boys, with the mates. You know what I mean? Like I miss that time. I miss that. But I, I if you said, Sean, do you miss getting up every morning at five o'clock in the morning? And <laughs> that, but you know, no, I don't miss that. But you, with you the whole way, who are you know what I mean? Like who are you know just mess, you know having fun? Yes, I miss them. I miss them. But I also look back and reflect and go, wow, that was an amazing time. You know what I mean? Like I don't remember. Again, like I joke, I don't remember the TV shows I watched during that time period. I don't remember the clothes I wore. I don't remember any of that stuff. But I will not forget the journey I took to get to me where I am. You know what I mean? I, I will remember the journey. I will remember the people, the places, the moments. You know, and that's what I try to tell people. Everything else is just superfluous. You know what I mean? Like, it's the journey to get to where you think your destination is that you'll remember. So don't be so wrapped up in, you know, oh, my God, I didn't get to that goal and forget to look back and go, but look what I did accomplish. You know what I mean? I didn't become a Paralympian, but oh my God, I've traveled the world. I've done so many amazing things. I've been on TV, my God, commercials and movies and this and that. I met this person. I've done this stuff. And oh, by the way, I'm in the best shape of my life with a spinal cord injury. I mean, bar none. Even, even when I was in the military, I was not in as good a shape as I am now. Wow. You know what I mean? So you've got to look back and recognize, you know what I mean, the journey. You know what I mean? It's not the destination. It's the journey. So once again, Sean, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely. I, I've really enjoyed it. If you wanted some bonus content, I have now set up a Facebook group where you can interact with both the guests and I. The name of this so-called group is Mindset Game. So why not come over and check it out for yourself? And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review in iTunes as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.